This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. Thank you for joining us on Resource Center. My name is Audrey Raj, and I am really excited to get this show on the road because we're kicking off a new series on Resource Center today, and it's all about the psychology of work. And we're going to do this on the first Tuesday of every month with organizational psychologist and CEO of Osyke, Hetel Doshi. Hetel, how are you doing this morning? Thank you for joining us. I'm really good. Thank you, Audrey. Thank you so much for having me here. So. I know you've been really busy, even more so over the course of this pandemic. Uh, maybe you can talk to us about the kind of work you've been doing for organizations and and why the sudden flurry of businesses looking uh, to your services. Yeah, definitely has been a surge, and typically during crisis, there are a lot of opportunities for us in the space of psychology. One of the mm. major things that the pandemic has done is that it has exposed a lot of vulnerabilities in organization. Uh, the first vulnerability is with regards to strategy. Where are we going? What are we going to be doing? Uh, and I think you know uh, all of us would attest that most organizations were trying to go digital, but COVID nineteen helped us to really to get there. And that mm-hmm. was the first ex- first exposure of vulnerability. So most organizations who had not gone into the space of digital have to do that now. And that's one of the areas where we support them. And the second thing would be with regards to uh, mental health. Uh, most people in organizations now would probably be struggling with this new way of working. And so we're really supporting organizations from a mental health perspective. Uh, and I think one of the best things that has happened is that, uh, you know, CEOs all over the world are taking psychology, wellness, mental health super seriously now because um, of the reputational damage that they can probably experience if they don't look after employees during uh, times like this. And we are really hoping that this series on the psychology of work will help support organizations and CEOs and business leaders out there as well, right? Let it be a resource. Absolutely. Right. So for our first episode today, we're going to be talking about why good work is good for you and uh, how to make work suck less. Now, maybe we can start by defining good work or or should we go further back, Hethel, and talk about uh, defining work itself? Yes, I think we should. Um, Audrey, you know, when we were in school uh, and we knew that whatever we studied for was going to be applied later on in our lives as adults in the workplace, I don't think we were ever sat down and asked to contemplate on what is this definition and meaning of work, right? Yeah, never. (laughs) Like, what is work, right? So, um, you know, thank God for this podcast. Even I had never really sat down to contemplate that. But looking at the dictionary, the English dictionary actually uh, defines work as physical or mental effort exerted in order to do something. And the the synonym of it really shocked me. But, you know, I guess it doesn't really surprise me as well. At the same time, synonym of it is labor and toil. Uh, okay, <laughs> so that's, that's not very positive. No, it's not. But it sounds like you know how typically people describe work. Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. Um, at the same time, the definition of work way before the English definition was the physics definition, and work was work is basically defined in the world of physics as a force 
not really like effort that you need to put in. It's a force that is within you that manifests into the external world. So all that Audrey is, you know, the makeup of Audrey, um, just basically manifesting into the world with, with barely any effort at all. It's just Audrey being Audrey and manifesting herself in the external world. Seamlessly. Bro- that's what right. it's supposed to be. <laughs> right. So it, it's also a bit of a transference of energy, right? Like from who you are, you know, transferring out into the world, correct? You're so amazing. That is the perfect way of saying it. Um, yeah, I would definitely hire you straight, straight away now. <laughs> because energy so, cannot be created and it cannot be destroyed. But all of us are balls of energy. And therefore, we just transfer that into the world outside. So what is work then? Uh, who knows? To put it simply. <laughs> <laughs> so work is basically a, a space where you can manifest all of your, you know, the energy that you have within you. Unfortunately, because this is the highest level of consciousness of it, but most of us did, don't still till today have that level of consciousness. So it's basically survival. I need to do this in order to make sure that I can survive. So the history of work has been quite interesting, right? Like, uh, you know, Let's say, let's think about our parents, right? In the agricultural revolution, or even like, you know, services of sorts, barter trade, whatever not. Uh, a lot of the work that we did was for survival, and we needed some kind of an economic exchange in order to survive at the very least. But the work that our grandparents, you know, were, were you know, had to do at that time had a very strong social exchange and benefit too. If that makes sense. Like they're working, but they know who they're working for, who they're working with. And they also understand that their products and services will be used by people that they knew. Right, right. So that really helped. So work in itself, although it could have been stressful at that time, and it produces this hormone called adrenaline, because they work with and for and together with other people, they also have something called oxytocin, which is the love from being able to do their work, the love of that labor, right? So, for example, my uncle, my grandfather used to sell like sweets or ghee in, in the village. And when he, he worked very hard, but he sold it to people he knew and they would then thank him for it. His reputation increased, whatever not, social standing increased, so on and so forth. Unfortunately, these days, we have a very similar phenomenon where we work for survival and economic exchange, But because of the likes of Karl Marx or Adam Smith, where productivity is important, efficiency is important, scalability is important, all of the work that we do, we don't know who's actually receiving it, the goodwill of it. Mm. And so we have adrenaline, which is the stress of working, but we don't have oxytocin, which is the love of our labor, if that makes sense. Right. So what you're saying is like with work comes that that social exchange and that social exchange part was what kind of gave us uh, a reward or was um, give us job satisfaction. And that's what's missing today. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you know, when the millennials say, oh, you know, I want to make a difference. It was that Mr. Tan that you sold, you know, goodies to, for example, who came to you and said, thank you so much for that. That made you feel like, OK, I, I made a difference. But these days when we do work, right, we don't know who our customers are or we don't really get that thank you, you made a difference to me, whatnot. So that social exchange and perfectly, like you said, that reward from making a difference is not something that we feel and see directly and immediately. Okay, so why do people work then if we're not receiving that reward aside from 
us needing to earn a living and and to survive and why do people work then it beats me right audrey <laughs> <laughs> i would think that one part of it would definitely be money and for survival and stuff like that but beyond that if you look at maslow's hierarchy of needs which actually never had a theoretical thumbs up in the past but you know people, a lot of academics thought it was a load of bull <laughs> but they started to really look into Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And there is so much ability in that, that people really have dreams. Mm-hmm. Not when just when they are sleeping, but also when they are awake. And they want to lead a life where these dreams come true. And so that's why people work beyond the basics of survival and money and social recognition. It is, it is one life and before the end of it, before I die, I would like to have some dreams manifested. Hmm. All right, so Hetal, our topic today is about how good work is good for you. What is good work and, and why is good work good for you? How do we find good work? So good work is one where um, it, it basically is in alignment with your conscious or subconscious dreams of actualization, meaning this is what makes life worthwhile. So it's in alignment with that. Plus, it, it, it provides you with the environment, environmental conditions that make you feel good while you're doing it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So it's not just like, you know, I joined, for example, a, a tech company that I've been vying for. Like, I would love to work there because I believe in the social cause or the economic cause. But also the environmental conditions make me feel good. So it's on mm. one hand, it's the goals and the dreams. But on the other hand is the... Uh, the environment or the social mechanism by which it makes you feel good. And why is good work good for us? Because what's the alternative? Bad work, right? <laughs> you all, no one, none of us want to have bad work. Labor and toil. Oh, yeah, the two key words from this discussion, huh? <laughs> All right, uh, we're going to take a quick break now for some messages. But when we come back, we discuss how to make work suck less. You're listening to Resource Center. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Big Front Man, BFM. 89.9 You are listening to Resource Centre with me, Audrey Raj, organisational psychologist and CEO of Osaic. Hetal Doshi is online with me right now. It's the start of an interesting and timely new series we're working on here on Resource Centre, focused on the psychology of work. And on this, our first episode, we are talking about doing good work and how to make work suck less. Now, um, Hetal, before the break, you were talking about uh, why good work is good for us. So if good work is good for us, then why does it suck so much? Are we just not doing it right? I uh, Absolutely. That's number one. Okay, Audrey, like, you know, the technology of products is quite interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Basically, if a product is not good, people will reject it and you would stop producing those products, correct? Correct. <laughs> yeah. So this idea of work is pretty flawed because... People are getting burnt out. They're not happy. Mental health is at its highest level of decline. But this idea, right, of work that is really not good, unfortunately continues to stay. Unlike products. Mm. Products that are not good die. 
But ideas about work that are not good seem to continue to be alive. And so I think work sucks a lot because we are not really, we are really not sitting down as human beings, individuals. I mean, yeah, organizations should do that. But as an individual who only has one life, I think we should really, really, really sit down and understand why we are working and what is this all for and how are you going to design it or manipulate it to serve you, not the other way around. You know what I mean? I think we have enough of education. Of course, we, we, we could have a lot more, but we have enough education to understand that the way that we are working may or may not work for us anymore, or the idea of how to go about doing is not working. And we need to change the idea for ourselves. And organizations or your leaders or your supervisors cannot do that for you. You would have to sit down and do that inner work for yourself. That's number one. So how do we then assess... Um the, the, the conditions, you know, are there factors that we need to look at when we're trying to assess how we're going about doing our work and, and how to make it good work for ourselves? Yeah, I think, you know, number one, just be very clear about what it is that you want and what it is that you don't want and utilize an opportunity-based approach rather than a fear-based approach. So, you know, this topic can go on for at least a week, but mm. this topic is basically called knowing what it is that you want to be doing with your life. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes we don't have a choice, right? When it comes to things like this, um, <laughs> I would definitely beg to differ. I think we may not have choices all of the time or for some periods of time, but we definitely have choices some of the times. Yep. And um, I think it's a really about exercising it. So this this whole concept is called self-efficacy, meaning. What is it that you would expect as an outcome of your life? If you feel that you will not have a choice or that you don't have enough control of the outcomes in your life, that will be the case for you for the rest of your life. Hmm. And nobody can help you except you. And this has been tested, right? Audrey, we know leaders who don't even have educational background, came from poverty, so on and so forth. Now, I'm not sitting here and saying everybody has these kind of choices. Of course, it really depends on where you're born, uh, what conditions you're in. But I think the majority of us could at least try to make some of these choices or at least sit down and make an attempt with our lives. So I think, number one, it's okay if you don't have choices, but sit down and evaluate all the time how you might want to design your life mm -hmm. and attempt to make use of as many opportunities to exercise free will and choice. Okay. Yeah, that's number one. Yeah. All right. So the 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 point you made earlier on why work sucks so much, you know, we coming coming back to that. The first point was about gaining clarity. What is the second point? Yeah. So the second one would be power, right? You know, we may have even unconsciously given our power away before even getting into the space of work, just thinking that somebody else would be the ones in charge of our life, of our time, of our energy. And so the concept of power is equivalent or, you know, like a sister or cousin to clarity. So clarity kind of comes with power and vice versa. So what I really mean by power uh, is that, you know, organizations these days would be, most organizations would be saying the same thing. You know, we are moving to a space of transformation. We're trying to go digital. We want to empower all of our people. At the same time, you would hear employees saying, yeah, you want to employ me, but I feel very disempowered. Uh, it is this notion on the ground that 
they are digging holes to help the organization to move into a new pathway where there's some kind of light at the end of the tunnel. But every time they reach the end of the tunnel, the organization says, you know, bury that hole and try to build something else. It's constant change of direction, right? Like organization says, I want to go this way. And then before you know it, you've attempted, 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 they move into a different direction again. By the end of it, you feel like you have lost all kind of power and you're just doing what you need to do rather than exercising what you think could really add value. And this is what they found as uh, in prisons, uh, a form of psychological torture that actually works. They get prisoners to dig up holes until the point where they feel that they might be able to escape. But before they do, you make sure that you put all the mud or dirt back into the hole, close it up and begin digging all over again. So it just feels like it never ends. And so, you know, when I'm with organizations or with like, you know, teams and organizations, the one thing that they will always say is like, is this ever going to end? Mm. Is the it moving targets to seem too much, right? Exactly. Before you even get there, it's another whole ball game altogether. And so, yeah, this is really psychological torture. And you feel like you get into a space of learned helplessness, which really is a space of where you begin to start losing that feeling that you have any power at work and then eventually in life as well. So that's definitely the second thing, second reason why I think work so, sucks so much, that either you feel like you've lost that power or somebody else, you've allowed somebody else to take that away from you. And what's the third point? So the third point is really about priorities. Um, a, a recent piece of research that we have done showed that the number one cause of stress in the workplace, apart from lack of clarity, People feel that there's lack of clarity in the organization. The next two would be high workload and ad hoc tasks. Does this make any sense, mm. uh, Audrey? Of course it does. Of course it does. <laughs> yeah. So what do you this? How do you describe a, a bunch of? I'm not. I'm not paralleling humans to animals, but imagine a bunch of animals that are already in a space of fear and anxiety because the situation is a little bit complicated, complex and threatening. And on mm -hmm. top of that, there's a lot of work to be done and everything is very ad hoc and all over the place. How would you describe animals who are in that kind of a situation in one word? Disarray. Exactly. And so when you, when you don't have any priorities in a situation that is very complex and probably a bit traumatic, you would get a whole bunch of people who are in disarray and as you are trying to transform the organization into the future, you have a bunch of people who are all helter-skelter. You can't go anywhere. And this comes back down to not really knowing our priorities. But you can only know your priorities if, number one, you have clarity. Number two, you have the power to make certain decisions. And number three, then just focus on, on, on a clear prior priorities. One of the things that we realize about having clean, clear priorities is the fact that you have to kill 80% of your workload. And mm. I think most organizations haven't killed. They're just adding and adding and adding more things to do. And so imagine if you're trying to get from, you know, uh, let's say, for example, from Monkiara to Kuala Lumpur, you can only take one pathway. But in organizations, they seem to take, want to take many, many different routes and try many, many different things and have all this workload to get to a certain destination. But you will need to make choices. You will need to let, to let go of many other pathways and just focus on one or two things which means you need to kill 80% of the workload so that people can just focus on the 20% and move in a specific, clear direction. Mm. Um, and that probably would make work suck less radically. Okay, but there's more to this, right? There are more ways that we can actually make work suck less, right? 
Yeah, I think I would put it very simply without elaborating because this can take a bit of time. Number one, in terms of vision, right, in terms of where it is that we are going, it's important to understand when to future and when to be present. So when do you create clarity of the future and when do you stay in the present moment? So I think being able to understand futuring and presenting is very important. That's number one. Uh, number two, I think it's very, very important to understand why you work. Uh, this is, sounds very counterintuitive, but research actually states that the more selfish you are, the better it is for you and the organization. This sounds weird, right? Now, what do you mean by being more selfish? Just be very selfish about why you go to work, what it is that you want to be doing, and how you feel in the workplace. Because mm-hmm. um, the organization is not here to make you feel good or give you what it is that you really need all the time. So as they say, when you get into an airplane, put on your mask before you put on somebody else's mask. Yeah. Therefore, learn how to be a little bit selfish or self-interested about what it is that you want, where you want to go, and how you, how you feel in the workplace. If you don't look after yourself, you're not going to be good for anybody. But this doesn't mean that you are self-interested and selfish only, but operating from that space to be able to create benefits to other people is very important. It's like a plant, right, Audrey? I don't think plants, you know, live to make other people happy. I think they just grow on their own. And in doing so, they kind of provide shade to others. Plants, if plants know this, tables know this, chairs know this. I think you know, it's really <laughs> weird that human beings just don't know this. Um, so what's next then? I think in terms of relationships as well, uh, it's quite important in the workplace, right? Knowing when to connect with people and how to connect and when to disconnect. Recently, ah. recently we, we came up with this term that people seem to love, which is, you know, uh, when it comes to relationships, it's very important to be indifferent as much as you want to make a difference. So what I notice is that a lot of individuals in the workplace are getting really sucked into the emotions of other people in the workplace. Number one, mm-hmm. just learn how to disconnect. It's okay. Their emotions doesn't have to be yours. So just be indifferent. <laughs> Sometimes okay. that's very important. I know it sounds counterintuitive, but it's okay. If your boss is angry, if your boss, you know, or, or your team members are all feeling helter-skelter, just disconnect. You're also, I guess, trying to distance yourself from some of the toxicity that may be happening in the workplace. So this is a good lesson then. 100%. You don't have to be connected all the time. Disconnect. Disconnect for the benefit of keeping a healthy environment for yourself. And second of all, know, know when and why to connect. If you're connecting, connect for... Uh, you know, not just individuals, but the whole team and connect so that you can bring the organization a bit higher, not lower. Uh, so I think knowing when to connect, when to disconnect is very important. Uh, there, there are a few others, but I think, you know, these are the three very important things. Your, your vision, how do you future? How do you stay present? Your intent being self-centered, selfish and self-interested versus, uh, you know, then from there moving to a space of social interest. And in terms of relationships, knowing when to connect and disconnect is very, very important as well. Okay. And just before I let you off the hook, uh, Hethel, um, how do you work with organizations to uh, increase the experience of good work for employees? Because um, we've discussed what we can do to kind of make good work and how to make work suck less as well, but um, how can organizations um, in- increase the experience of good work for their workforce? Right. Um, number one, 
um, clarity of your dream as an organization. The other day, I was just telling, uh, asking a management team, guys, what's your dream as an organization? And they were so confused and puzzled. And they're like, what do you mean by dreams? We don't really have dreams here. And I was like, all right, like, what do you guys have then? They're like, oh, we have like goals and KPIs and stuff like that. I'm like, so it's not a dream, is it? And they're like, uh, I guess if you want to call it a dream, sure. <laughs> but number one, I mean, humanize the whole experience and really understand what the dream of the organization is and communicate it over and over and over and over and over again because it really adds a lot of energy. A lot of people have joined your organization because of the dreams that that you actually are promoting to the rest of the world. So yeah. number one, I think, you know, talk about dreams, stop talking about vision, purpose, goals, KPIs, because people don't really understand that. And communicate it as far and as much as you can, because I think that's why people join you. Mm. The second thing is to create a human system for work. So I'm just going to share a beautiful formula. And this formula is basically B equals to a function of P dot E. Simplify the whole thing. Behavior is a function of a whole person like Audrey, Audrey from the day that you're born till today. Your behavior is a function of your whole story together with the environment that your organization creates for you. Right? So Audrey can be great, Audrey can be evil, and it, and it all can happen in the exact same moment depending on the environment that you're in. So right. what I really mean by that is to create a right human system based on the right environmental conditions. Simplify this, give your people a great place to work lah. <laughs> so, you know, um, and to give people a great place to work basically requires you to have very high level of consciousness and really a lot of calm and peace. So let me just share with you what happens, right? The other day we were with a team and we were talking about a KPI that was unmet and I was observing how the team had a conversation about unmet KPIs and during that conversation, there was a lot of blaming. Of course, they were as nice as they could to, with each other, but there was a lot of underlying blame, a lot of underlying fear. And what we did was we just stopped and paused and we asked everyone to use energy of supporting each other and setting each other up for success rather than trying to justify the failure. Just mm. that flip of switch, right? Okay, we are here to set each other up for success rather than talk about the failures per se. Just that flip in the switch allowed everybody to begin to support a few people and then a few people more and then a few people more, the environment got much better. And at the end of it, uh, there was so much of conversations about what the pain that everybody was experiencing and everybody was willing to support each other in that pain. Um, it sounds like a fairy tale. It sounds too good to be true, but it's really a flip in consciousness. Like, how are you having conversations about KPIs? Are you talking about KPIs or are you talking about setting each other up for success? It sounds, like I said, a fairy tale or a dream, like, you know, a dream. Mm. But it's really just saying, guys, we are not here to talk about, you know, who did badly. We're just really here to understand what's going on and how do we set each other up for success by first talking about what hurts, what are your pains. And that conversation, one hour conversation of, of beating each other up led to a 15 minute conversation that they were able to resolve things that's how you save time, energy, and increase uh, relationships as well. So I think definitely organizations really, really, really can benefit from understanding the psychology of how to create the right environment or environmental conditions so that people and systems can really thrive. So yeah, I would definitely say these two things that, that, that can be easily 
easily, easily done. It's not rocket science. It's not difficult at all. Okay, well, on that note, uh, thank you, Hetal, for joining us today. I've been speaking with organizational psychologist and CEO of OSYC, Hetal Doshi. Now, Hetal will be back again on the first Tuesday of May for another episode focusing on the psychology of work. But till then, for more information on the work Hetal and her team at OSYC does, uh, what's the website, uh, Hetal? Uh, you can you can log on to www.o-psych.com and uh, get connected with us via our website, or you can just ping me directly on LinkedIn. Uh, and my my ID for that would be Hetal Doshi. Right. And if you missed out on any part of this show, the podcast will be up on our website in a few minutes. And you can also follow our podcast or the BFM app on iTunes, on Spotify or anywhere else you get your podcast fix. My name is Audrey Raj and this has been Resource Centre on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.